Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is Bob Moriarty, the founder of 321Gold and 321Energy.com and the author of two of my personal favorite books, The Art of Peace and Nobody Knows Anything. Mr. Moriarty, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, and it's good to talk to you. Bob, as always, it's an honor to have you on our show, sir. We have some important topics to cover for the audience, and I would like to begin our discussion regarding geopolitics by regions beginning in the United States. What has your attention, and why? Oh, God. Uh, I, I think this week, and of course, by the time you put this out, we'll know one way or another, but the Kavanaugh, debacle uh it's it's embarrassing i mean the rest of the world is watching the united states make a fool of itself it it truly is let me ask this as well how about the federal reserve increasing interest rates and talk to us also about your thoughts regarding the new trade agreement that we have with canada oh well i i'm glad to see there is trade agreement and certainly uh, Canada has recognized their 300% tariffs on dairy products were foolish. You know, socialism is very popular because uh, when, you, when you feel the government is doing something just for you, you're all in favor of it. And Canada's policy has been good for 16,000 dairy farmers in Canada and bad for everybody else. And and it was a stupid policy. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. I think the man's a blithering idiot. However, some of his points are perfectly valid. And Canada had absurd tariffs on dairy products protecting their dairy industry, and they needed to change them. So, you know, obviously, I don't have the, all the details any more than you, but uh, Trump has been successful in getting Mexico to recognize there were issues that needed to be sorted, and China, and and now Canada. And I think it's a good idea. How about the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates? Should that be something that we should be concerned about? Uh, When you were in debt far more than you can ever pay, It really doesn't make a rat's ass what the interest rate is because the critical issue isn't the interest rate. The critical issue is, can I pay this back? Uh, The Federal Reserve is uh, raising interest. They're reversing QE. They, They were incredibly stupid for 10 years, and now we get to pay the price. Now, there's gonna be a massive recession slash depression and that's going to occur regardless of the interest rates the interest rates just make it happen a little faster yeah i'm going to be interested to see what's going to occur with the peripheral markets here as they unwind this this uh, qe per se uh let's move now to the middle east and specifically syria which involves a number of players fighting there what are you focused on well, let me, let me ask a question, first of all, because the, the issue has to go to the heart of self-defense. And 
you know, under the British education system, they teach you the question that's more important than the answer. And there's a very valid reason for that. If you don't ask the right question, you never come to the right answer. Now, we are fed nonsense on a regular basis, and it's because people don't ask the right question. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Israel have a natural right to self-defense? They do. Okay, if Israel has a natural right to self-defense, does Syria have that same right? They do as well. Yeah, of course they do. Now, even more interesting, if Israel and Syria have a natural right of self-defense, does Gaza? They do. Okay. Now, they're not really a country, per se. Israel has just cut up Palestine into little tiny unmanageable parts. But yes, everyone has right to self-defense. Do you personally have a right to self-defense? Yes, I do, sir. Of course you do. Everybody does. But we assume that Israel has a right to self-defense, and not only do they have a right to self-defense, the United States has an obligation to fight their wars for them. And that's really pretty stupid. But Syria has a right to self-defense. Iran has a right to self-defense. Iraq has a right to self-defense. Gaza has a right to self-defense. And all of the problems in the Middle East go back to Israel want to steal land. They've been stealing land since 1947. And Russia has just said, okay, here's a line in the sand. And if you cross it, we're going to shoot your aircraft down. So Russia has put in a bunch of S-300 SAM missiles in Syria and said, okay, United States, you stay out. Turkey, you stay out. Israel, you stay out. They've got all the right in the world to do that. And I'll be real candid, and this is, you know, I'm speaking as a pilot with 12,000 hours of flying as a combat pilot with over 800 missions. I wouldn't mess with Russia. No, they seem to be a very formidable uh, foe there. But let me ask you this now. We're talking about the sure. U.S. involvement in, in the Middle East. Uh, the United States this year will become the largest producer of oil. How will this impact our relationship and involvement in the Middle East in the future years? I'm not sure that there's a, a direct connection. Uh, our central problem in the Middle East is the total and absolute control that APAC and and Benjamin Netanyahu have over the American political process. When every congressman and senator is elected, they are met they meet with representatives from APAC and APAC asks them to sign a document saying they will support Israel. Now no other country in the world would get away with that. But uh, Israel feels they can do anything because the United States will always protect them. And in fact, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the war in Libya, Somalia, Sudan, all those stupid wars in the Middle East, none of them are in the interests of the United States. But we have fought them because Sheldon Adelson paid $35 million to buy the office of the presidency. 
And in 2016, he bought the president of the United States and everything that Trump does, he does after seeing what Adelson wants him to do. Bolton is his pet lapdog. And these are very scary people. What would you say the probability is of the United States deploying troops there? To where? To Syria. We got troops there now. No, I agree. I'm referring to it on a mass scale that we had in Afghanistan and Iraq, sir. Zero. Okay. We are there absolutely, totally, illegally. The government of Syria said, hey, get your ass out. <coughs> Russia has said, hey, get your ass out. We, we have, there's no legal basis whatsoever. <coughs> For the United States being there, I mean, I'm not even sure what the government claims their base. It says we have troops in Syria, which has a democratically elected government. It's a sovereign nation. They have no business there. We're not doing anything. We were support the terrorists. We were the terrorists. Well, let's move now to the Far East. Give us your thoughts on the United States and China there with the trade situation. Well, uh, I, I did make mention of it there with Canada and Mexico. Uh, China has abused not just the United States, they've abused the rest of the world in an effort to, to catch up economically. And China has made major progress in the last 20, 25 years. But they've done it using very unfair tactics. And what they want to do is they want to control all of the manufacture of goods. And that's very bad. I mean, when I was a kid, I'll tell you a funny story. It's when I was in high school. Uh, it's before Nixon went to China. And we would talk about if you really wanted to get wealthy, what you should do is set up a T-shirt factory for making T-shirts to the, <coughs> excuse me, to the Chinese, because you could march the Chinese by in a formation <coughs> 16 people wide, and, and as fast as you could have them put on T-shirts, there were more Chinese. And the one <laughs> thing that never occurred to us is the Chinese could make T-shirts too. So the Chinese started making T-shirts for themselves. Now they make T-shirts for everybody. But they've had an unfair competitive advantage. <coughs> and Trump and the rest of the world said, hey, we need to have a level playing field. And to the extent, and I will credit both Mexico and China and, and Canada, they've recognized that there's some substance to what Trump says. Now, he's not going to get everything that he wants, but he, he's made major progress. Well, it seems like there might be some light at the end of the tunnel, but I think you and I both probably agree that nobody wins in a trade war. Am I correct with that statement, sir? No, 100%. Well, nobody wins anymore. I mean, it's <laughs> absolutely right. I wrote an entire book about that. The only thing that happens in any war, trade war, real war, is one side loses more than the other. And the book that you're referring to for the audience is The Art of Peace. 
Now, Bob, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question uh, for you here. We're still in the Far East. Talk to us about the United States and the North Korean talks. Um, how committed is North Korea, and can we trust them? Uh, here, here's the real issue. Uh, can they trust us? <laughs> the United States violated every treaty, treaty that's ever written. <clears throat> I think the guy that's running North Korea is a fat little toad. Uh, he's pretty much destroyed the country, and it would behoove him to get along with South Korea and change the rules. <coughs> but to the extent that the United States has not attacked him because he is nuclear-armed, and and that's actually a bad thing for the U.S. <coughs> we only attack countries that that can't defend themselves. If they can defend themselves, we don't attack them. I believe there was a saying once I heard that uh, we also don't attack countries that don't have (laughs) central banks. Uh, That's true, but that has more to do with with how far, uh, how advanced their economy is more than anything else. I'm not a favor of central banks. Central banks are very bad, but... uh, you know, virtually everybody's got central banks, except the countries that don't have banks. All right. Let's move on to some mining companies, sir. Which issuers have your attention at the moment? Well, <laughs> funny thing to say that there's one that has everybody's attention, and it, it, it caught my attention in a negative way, and that was Garibaldi. And Garibaldi would say 15 cent stock uh, 15 months ago. Uh, they drilled. They drilled through a package of rocks that had been drilled 50 years before. They knew exactly what they were going to get. They were going to get high grade intercepts, but it was a very small package of rocks. So the stock ran from uh, 15 cents to five dollars something before going back but they were about to release uh results here a week ago and and i said that <coughs> the investors so, so bullish were about to learn what by the rumor uh sell the news meant and in fact the stock went from three dollars to under dollar and a half in about a week the stock was way overpriced it three dollars share i think they've got 106 million shares outstanding it's a really good example of what happens when a company is too promotional now there's another company called great bear resources and and they've released some results recently that are spectacular uh, Great Bear has 26 million shares. I think the stock's about a dollar eighty. And Great Bear is, is the antithesis. They're the opposite of Garibaldi. They hadn't communicated with the market at all, and they've got a market cap now of about 45 million. When Garibaldi had a market cap of 300 million, but Great Bear absolutely is going to have a gold mine. Uh, good management. And they just refuse to tell their story. It's really interesting to me because uh, both companies are hurting their shareholders. 
Garibaldi, by setting their shareholders up uh, in advance of news, and Great Bear by not communicating with their shareholders at all. So Great Bear is $45 million, it should be $100 million, and Garibaldi is $150 million, it probably should be $50 million. Now, I'm not saying Garibaldi doesn't have a deposit, but they need to prove it <coughs> instead of just talking about it. You know, in that piece that you wrote, Bob, uh, regarding Garibaldi, you were mainly discussing another company that's a sponsor of ours, and that's Novo Resources. Talk to us about Novo. Oh, I love Novo. I mean, it's a great story. They have a second that's fought around in, in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Is something that Mark Creasy's been working on for 15 or 20 years, and and. Quentin Henney has been working on for 10 to 15. We went and sat down with Mark Creasy, Quentin, myself, and Mark sat down for three or four hours nine years ago. And, of course, I'm listening to a theory, okay? They both, they, they had overlapping theories, and they both thought that it was another Vitz water end. Uh, we went out to the field, and things that Quentin had described to me a year before, I saw <laughs> in the field, and I believe it's it's probably going to be the biggest gold deposit in the world. the The really interesting thing about it is there's a lot of technical issues that make it very difficult. Uh, did you go there? Did you go to Karatha? I was there in uh, last November, sir. Yeah, okay, so you've seen the nuggety gold, and you've seen the guys with the metal detectors. The bigger the gold nugget, the harder it is to measure. And I've maintained for 14 months that you cannot measure that gold. You cannot come up with a realistic resource because it's too hard to measure. The only thing you can do is mine it. Now, what they're doing is they're calling it trial mining, but trial mining is still mining. Uh, when you mine it, you know exactly what your grade is. But uh, something interesting came up in the last two weeks. One of the things that Quentin and I saw, we went to the gold buyer in Carartha. We bought some gold from him. And he said, would you like to see some of the gold from Edgina? And we said, yeah, and we bought some of that, and the gold from, from Edgina, I'm sorry, it's Edgina, yeah, that's it. Uh, the gold from Edgina is identical to the gold from Comet Well of Purdy's Reward, but it's 125 kilometers away. Now, my issue was how thick is the conglomerate, how high is the grade, and what's the, the horizontal extent and I was convinced, hey, wait a minute, if you've got gold here and you've got identical gold 125 kilometers away, you have a very big deposit. And all of the information that has come out in the last year has tended to verify that. But Novo's been a like a buck and bronco. It goes up and it comes right back down because trying to measure it is so difficult. But... Uh, Quentin did a deal that he's been working on for a year uh, with with a area that actually has a mining license and has free gold in gravel. 
and that's going to be far easier and far cheaper to mine, and you can actually come up with some hard numbers. And I'm going to go over and see it in a month, but it's, it's a game changer. So there's three kinds of gold that I've seen, and I know of four kinds of gold. There's Beaton's Creek, which has a very typical gold similar to South Africa. There's uh, Karartha, which is, is a comet well and uh, Purdy's reward, and that's nuggety gold, but that's in the hard rock conglomerate. And then you've got Edgina, which is the same conglomerate, but the conglomerate has weathered into gravel. So you don't have to blast it. You don't have to crush it. You just have to run it through a gravity mill. So it, it's a real game changer, and he will be in trial mining. We go into the very hot season starting in December. December, January, February, you just can't work uh, in the Pilbara in Western Australia. It's just too hot. It's 45, 50 degrees centigrade. Uh, but come March, uh, Novo will be in small-scale production at Edgina. That sounds very exciting for current and prospective shareholders. Let's talk about another company related to uh, Dr. Quentin Henney, and that is Irving Resources. What can you share with us? Oh, well, you and I went to see it a year ago. Uh, let me ask you a question because uh, you, you know everything that you need to know. We drove out there. They had dug up the ground a little bit, and we saw veins that had tested as high as $25,000 to the ton. <laughs> now, how deep were those veins? Well, that was right on surface. Well, it wasn't right on surface. It was like six inches under surface or right. 12 inches under surface. It wasn't actually at surface, but it was really close to surface. Uh, how drunk would you have to get a monkey before he could screw up a drill program drilling what you and I saw? <laughs> you just have to give him a sip. <laughs> no, no, you could get a monkey really drunk. I mean, he could be just passed out, commode-hugging drunk on the floor, and, and it wouldn't make any difference. He could point in any direction and say, drill there, yes. and you're going to hit some gold. Now, uh, what's going to happen is they've got a drill on the way over there now, and they're working out uh, visas for some Canadian drillers. Uh, resources in the way of people – is very difficult in Japan because the population is actually decreasing. The population of people over 65 is increasing. Of course, those people want to retire. And there's very few young people. But you need young guys working a drill crew. So uh, they've had personnel issues as far as uh, getting some locals to help them. But the drill program, I think, will start in November, uh, perhaps December. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be very exciting. I mean, what, what you and I saw, it is impossible for them not to hit ultra-high-grade gold because a drunk monkey could do it. 
I would have to agree with everything that you've just shared with us. It's truly remarkable what they have there. And the CEO there, by the way, for our audience is Akiko Levinson. Let's switch now to Jericho Oil, if we may. Okay. A funny thing you mentioned that because I think oil is about to top. But uh, Jericho has, uh, let me think of a good way of putting it, has the most responsive management of any junior I've worked with in the last year or two. Uh, Jericho management is absolutely brilliant. They came to me four years ago, five years ago, and said, here's what we're going to do. When the price of oil goes down, we're going to go out and we're going to pick up land packages that are being given away by companies that are that are going out of business because they can't afford it. When the price of oil goes out, up, we're going to go out and drill, and we're going to advance these projects. And uh, to the extent that, that the CEO of the company has done everything that he's ever said, I have enormous admiration for him. Uh, they're drilling now. They're in the stack play in Oklahoma. They know exactly what they're doing. They have a partner with very deep pockets, so they have unlimited ability to drill. And uh, they're, they're going to be very profitable, and they're going to grow a lot larger. I think they've got about an $80 million market cap, but really good management. And speaking of the management there, the CEO there is Brian Williamson. And again, I, I echo what you're sharing regarding Jericho Oil. We uh, highly regard them. And as you, you know, a good testament to what you're sharing is they meet deadlines uh, and everything they share basically is positive, but uh, very responsive management. How about physical precious metals? I'd like to know what are you buying and why? Okay. <clears throat> Let's backtrack for just a minute. Since 2008, the world has added $250,000, no, $250 trillion in debt. Will it be paid? The answer is no. No. It, can't it can be paid. Yeah. Pay. I mean, the strange thing is all they did was advance consumption, okay? So the numbers look good as far as GDP, but the things that we'd like to consume in a year or two or five or ten, we've advanced, and we've already consumed them, but we still owe for them. Now, which would you rather have, something of real tangible value that people will always need, or would you like to have a piece of paper representing debt? I'll take tangible every day, sir. Exactly. Now, the strange thing is that people call me a gold bug, and I'm not a gold bug. If I could buy a train full of oil and store it in my garage, I would. But it's really difficult to, to do a deal like that. Anything tangible and real that people are always going to need is a good thing to own right now. But you can't hide an oil tanker under your bed, but you can certainly hide a 100-ounce bar of silver under your bed or a chunk of gold. So, so I'm, I'm pro-gold, pro-silver, and platinum, and palladium, and rhodium because they are tangible wealth 
a very portable wealth, and it's something that you could secure, you could see how dangerous the governments are getting, how dangerous the banks are getting. Uh, I, I mean, Wells Fargo is a really interesting example. <coughs> they, they may have, they've stolen more money than, than the bank robbers stole. Uh, it, it's amazing how corrupt uh, crony capitalism is now. So you want to stay away from assets that have uh, counterparty risk and putting money in a bank. When you deposit money into a bank, you go down to your bank and you put $100 into your bank account. Who does that money belong to? Yeah, the bank. Yeah. Okay. They owe you $100. But if they go under, guess what happened to your $100? It's gone. It went to money heaven just like Bitcoin did. And, and I, I want to share, there's a rebuttal that I know someone's probably thinking of, but we have the FDIC, and uh, I would encourage anyone that has that thought to revisit that concept and look at their website and do some research. And we've actually posted an article about that regarding uh, the FDIC, and it's entitled, Are We Insured? But I didn't mean to cut you off, sir. No, I mean, you just raised a really good point. Yes, we absolutely are insured, and everybody needs to understand that. And the FDIC guarantees your money. But what what they don't tell you is they only have 0.3% of the cash on hand to pay you. <laughs> That's exactly so what I was referring to. 0.3% <laughs> of banks that go under, the FDIC is going to guarantee your insurance. But, you know, the FDI, FDIC insurance is like playing high stock high stakes poker and the guy you're playing with is using a Sears credit card well now let's let's go back to precious metals for a second here Bob you know one of my favorite book hands down is nobody knows anything and one of the the, the lessons I learned there is in reference to when to purchase a specific metal and let's apply that thesis here so what are you buying right now and share with us why well, it's really funny that you said that because that just happens to be my favorite book too. <laughs> uh, I I am buying silver, and I I'm really tempted to buy platinum. The point of the book, and it's not just true of precious metals. The point of the book is true of all investments. You should buy things when they're cheap, and you should sell them when they're expensive. Now, when we talk about the price of gold, we're really talking about two commodities. Do you understand that? Uh, share it with the audience, please. Well, you're talking about gold, but you're also talking about the unit of measure that you're measuring it in. Okay, so if you say gold is $1,196 an ounce, you're talking about the value of gold, but you're also talking about the value of the dollar. Mm -hmm. Now, if you take the currency out of the equation, you can compare gold to silver or gold to platinum or gold to palladium or gold to rhodium, and you can differentiate. You can put them in order. Uh, to see which is expensive and which is cheap. And right now, platinum and silver are very cheap. You know, you and I really do like the value proposition of both of those metals. But you and I had an offline discussion the other day regarding platinum. Can we recover that, please, for the audience? 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting situation. Uh, do you happen to remember the number I gave it to you the other day? How, how much of the uh, platinum group metals are produced in South Africa? I believe we came up with about, uh, or not we, you, uh, 78%, sir? 78%, that's exactly right. Um, South Africa has gone communist slash socialist they're doing exactly the same thing Zimbabwe did. And Zimbabwe, when it was Rhodesia, was the breadbasket of Africa. It was the most prosperous country in Africa. The people were the best fed. It, it was a wonderful place. It was heaven in Africa. There was a revolution. Uh, the revolutionaries took over. Uh, and the guy running the place said, okay, I get all the money, and they have destroyed the country. Now, they've run the whites off. They either killed them or, or ran them out of the country, stole everything that they owned, and handed it to, to politically collect, uh, connected blacks, and they've destroyed their economy. So uh, for South Africa to go exactly the same route, as, as Zimbabwe, we know exactly what's going to happen, and that is exactly the same thing, okay? If if it didn't work in Rhodesia, <coughs> didn't work in Zimbabwe, why would it work in South Africa? So you can absolutely categorically say in the future there will be fewer platinum group metals coming out of South Africa, and there could be a critical shortage of platinum group metals uh, one of the things we didn't talk about the other day, who produces the other 22%? That'd have to be between uh, Russia and Zimbabwe? Exactly. Zimbabwe is very small. I think it's 3 or 4%. Russia produces about 20% of the PGMs in the world. And we've been very nasty to Russia, and Russia certainly is in a position... If if South Africa literally shut down, which is what I believe will happen, uh, uh, Russia certainly in a position to say, hey, remember the platinum that we were selling to you for $1,500 an ounce last week? Well, it's $5,000 an ounce now. Now, going back to the book and the concept of, of buying cheap and selling dear, you came to me... I think a year or so ago, and asked me what a good investment in precious <laughs> would be. Do you remember that? I do, certainly. And that was rhodium, sir. Okay. Rhodium got as low as $575 an ounce. Okay. Do you know what rhodium is right now? It's over 2500 sir. Correct. Okay. It's up 400% and change uh, compared to the dollar, but platinum has gone down since then. Palladium's gone up a little bit. Gold's down a little bit. Silver's down a lot. So right now, <clears throat> of the five precious metals, rhodium would be the most expensive relative to the other uh, Palladium would be the next most expensive. Gold would be right in the middle, and then silver, and then platinum. 
Uh, platinum, of course, it's hard to buy, and there's a pretty strong premium on it. Silver and gold are very easy to buy. Palladium is similar to platinum. Rhodium is a little bit more difficult again because they've only lately come up with coins and bars. But you can buy all of them. And right now, uh, owning platinum or silver and selling palladium or gold would, would be an odds-on bet. And Bob, allow me to just share with the audience, if you're seeking to purchase any of the five precious metals, please contact us at maurice at milesfranklin.com. Bob, thank you for all of your insights here. Last question for you. What did I forget to ask? I know what you're doing, and it's a dirty, rotten <laughs> You're going to ask me how my book's coming. And my oh, yes. book is a lot like Christmas. Well, I hope that's your wife in the background agreeing with me and the audience that we want to have a definitive date of when this book is coming. Yes. Well, it's like Christmas, Maurice. It's coming. <laughs> so then you're saying that uh, we're, what, two and a half months away, sir? No, I'm saying Christmas. <laughs> I didn't say anything about the book. I I have all the attention in the world. I have the book half written in my brain right now. I got a place to write it. I'm running out of excuses, and sooner or later, I'm going to have to put up or shut up. You know, I don't know if it was you, Bob, but I someone once shared with me: you're never judged on your intentions. You're judged on your results. So you're sharing us with the that you have the right intentions. Let's see the results, sir. Do it now. <laughs> in the background saying, do it now. I knew she was going to say that. How did I know she was going to say it? I think that's some kind of conspiracy between you and Barbara. Well, we know of two books, and let me re-reference those here for the audience. Uh, two books that you should definitely check out, and they're on our website. They're Bob Moriarty's The Art of Peace. And nobody knows anything. You can order a copy, again, on our education tab. Proven Improbable does not receive any financial considerations for selling or advertising, but we see these books as a must-have for your library. We have benefited financially from applying the axioms in the book. Bob, for someone listening who wants to get more information on your work, please share the websites. Uh, well, <clears throat> to buy the books, you can go to a bookseller, any bookseller, or you can go to Amazon, or you can go to Apple. And one thing that I will say, we haven't mentioned this, but I, I wrote The Art of Peace uh, a little over two years ago in, in Switzerland. And it's one of those books that actually will improve with age because it was predicting much of what's happened since then, including Sanders and Trump's uh, being successful in, in elections. And, and it talks about the geopolitical issues uh, you just no, no country can succeed for long being in a constant state of war. It can only end poorly. So while the art of peace was a discussion of my military career, half of the book was talking about what happens when you engage in stupid wars and what happens when you give support to countries in the Middle East who do not have your best interests at heart. But we've got a free website, 321 Gold, free website, 321 Energy. Uh, 
they're they're good websites. We've got some of the best writers in the business. You know, speaking again, one more time of Nobody Knows Anything, you wrote it two years ago. You know when I last stopped reading that? When? I haven't. I it's it's I'm forever reading that book. The moment I complete it, I go back and revisit it again. That's how important that book is in my life and also for my children's future. I've purchased them books as well. So again, thank you for for uh, sharing all of your wisdom within that book. And uh, last but not least, please visit our website, provenandprobable.com, where we interview the most respected names in the natural resource space. If you would like to have a discussion regarding precious metals, please contact us at maurice at milesfranklin.com. Bob Moriarty of 321gold and 321energy.com. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. All the best to you, sir. You bet. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.